Welcome to the British American Football Coaches Association podcast, a resource designed to support both British football coaches and coaches from around the world. This podcast features special guests discussing techniques, scheme, philosophies and culture for the sport of American football to help develop and grow the game worldwide. Now here's your host, Adam Lillis. Welcome to the BAFCA Coaching Podcast. We will be joined today by a friend of BAFCA, Coach Cody Hawkins, who will be sharing some great information on constructing a successful offence. Before we speak to Cody, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you do not miss out on future episodes and listen back to last week's episode on run defence with Coach Simon Hatcher. Uh, Some quick BAFCA news, a quick congratulations to Wayne Hill and, and Jason Scott on being appointed the Great Britain Students Head Coach and the Great Britain's Men's Adult Head Coach, respectively. We wish them both the best of luck in leading these programmes and in the upcoming games and tournaments that they will be competing in. Also, ensure you keep the first weekend of July free so that you can attend the BAFCA Convention at Loughborough University. The convention will start on Friday the 3rd of July and finish on Sunday the 5th of July. Make every effort to attend the weekend or at least one day as there will be great guest speakers and networking opportunities to help you develop as a coach. Announcement on the, on the guest speakers will be revealed in the coming weeks. Uh, now let's get started with Coach Hawkins and his thoughts on putting together a successful offence. Hello and welcome to another episode of the BAFCA Coaching Podcast. I'm joined today with a special guest who is a former BAFCA convention speaker and a friend of BAFCA, uh, the wide receivers coach at the UC Davis Aggies, Coach Cody Hawkins. Coach, how are you doing? I'm great, Adam. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know how busy you are, but we really appreciate you taking I always have time for you and the rest of the BAFCA community. Excellent. Right. Um, we, today we're going to be talking about offense and installing an offense from scratch uh, but before we get into that why don't we in case some people might not know who you are why don't you give us a bit of a background on how you got into football uh, a little bit about your playing career because you played over in Europe for a while uh, and then your route into coaching and where that journey is taking you. Yeah absolutely well uh, yeah my name you said my name's Cody Hawkins I coach the receivers here at UC Davis and also uh, coordinate all the recruiting for the offense out here I uh actually grew up a quarterback. So uh, I, I'm not one who could count speed as one of my physical attributes. I can throw it, but uh, my knowledge of the pass game kind of led me to being a receivers coach. But I uh, grew up, my dad was a football coach, uh, coached at Boise State, Colorado in the CFL, and uh, is now actually the head coach here at UC Davis. His name is Dan Hawkins. And I grew up, played quarterback, uh, won a few state championships in high school, played at the University of Colorado, and uh, set a few records back then, but they've all since been broken because as we find out, I'm Age is not treating me well. I wasn't as good as I thought I was, but um, was lucky enough to go play in Europe and really just had an absolutely transcendent experience uh, playing over in Sweden with the Stockholm Mean Machines. And then after that, I was actually a part of the uh, U.S. men's national team that played at the IFAF World Championships in Austria and, you know, met some people, really fell in love with the game and, and what the game was doing abroad and have since been fortunate enough to do some camps in Australia, was a part of the Basca Clinic two years ago. and. Um, have been to various places throughout Europe running camps. And the most impressive thing about those have, have been the relationships that I've gained. So throughout my coaching career, which uh, 
you know, really started um, when I was working for Nike, helping run Elite 11 camps. I was an Elite 11 quarterback back in high school and um, started out helping out with those camps. And I was a graduate assistant at Ohio State for Urban Meyer in 2014. Uh, then went uh, to the high school ranks, to the junior college ranks, and now here at uh, UC Davis, we're, uh, we're an FCS school. So we're still Division One, um, but we're in the Big Sky Conference on the West Coast. And I've loved every bit of the journey. Um, definitely international football has been a big part of that. And I'm, and I'm happy to have the opportunity to help give back just a little bit to the game that's given so much to me. So just talking about Europe uh, briefly, how did you touched on it slightly? How did your experience playing and inevitably coaching in Europe impact you in terms of taking it back to America to the college game? Well, I think, uh, you know, coaching is really teaching and everybody might be able to draw plays on the chalkboard, but if you can't get people to execute it, if you can't get people to believe in what you're doing, then it really doesn't matter. Um, so I think when you're overseas, you meet people who have just such a strong passion for the game, even though their resources are not quite as high as those in the States. And their exposure is different, every level. You know, you'll meet kids in uh, Britain, for example, who are just as talented, just as experienced as guys in the States. And then you'll have people who may be coming over from, you know, British football or handball or hockey, and they're trying to play football. So there's a lot of athletic talent there, but the exposure to the game has such a broad spectrum that when you coach, it makes you think about the words you're using, whether you're discussing a scheme or a technique how you drill it, and then ultimately how you judge that performance in a game. And there are a lot of drills we do here at UC Davis and that we started doing overseas, just trying to help teach basics of the game. Exactly. And you, you, uh, you came over to the convention, as I mentioned, and I know everyone took a lot from uh, not just your talks, but the other UC Davis coaches' talks. Um, hopefully you get to come over again sometime soon. Um, I'm trying. I'm lobbying for it. Let's go. <laughs> uh, right. So let's let's dig into it. Um, offense. Uh, we're going to talk about how we start from creating an offense and packaging concepts and things like that. Um, so let's just take the average Joe British coach. Maybe he's played for a little while. Maybe he's coached an offense position, he's, but he's never been an offensive coordinator before. What are your what would you advise as the first steps into creating the offense? Like where where do you start from? Because um, for most people it's quite overwhelming that first step. Yeah, well, I will tell any any coach who's listening, any player who's listening, that if you're thinking about installing an offense or really even a defense, really, is it is not about football and it's not about plays. There's a great podcast. If you have a shot to share it, you really should. It's a Bill Simmons, and he's talking to the head coach of the Golden State Warriors, Steve Kerr, about what's made them a successful basketball team. And and I think it really applies to everyone. So we've used a lot here as a, as a program at UC Davis. But when you think about creating your offense, don't think about what plays you want to run. Think about what feeling you want your players to have when they're a part of that offense. And it can be a lot of different things. It can be do you want them to experience joy? Do you want them to experience creativity? Do you want them to experience toughness or, or resiliency? I mean, what do you want to be known for? And what are you going to hold them accountable for? It? Because really, anytime there's a mistake made by a player, ultimately it falls as the responsibility of the coach. And so really find out what you're going to emphasize. Um, I'll give you an example for us here at Davis. We call our offense Shredville. And that came 
from the push to try and help our players to play free and to attack the defense. Just because when we arrived here at Davis, you know, they'd won eight games in the previous five years, and we were fortunate enough in two years to win five games and then ten games in the conference championship and go to the playoffs. And we went from a team that was scoring about ten points a game to a team that was averaging over 40 points a game. And it has nothing to do with the plays that we were running because the coaches who were here before were great coaches. But I feel most proud about our ability to get the players to believe in themselves and to go out and execute with a high level of confidence. So anytime you're creating an offense, just start with that. It, it is not about football. It's not about scheme. It's about instilling a belief in your players and finding out what they want to be known for and then coaching them to do that. Um, and then <laughs> when you are creating an offense, so it's not about football. Well, what is it about? It's about that culture piece that I just mentioned. And then it also starts with players. All right. Unfortunately, I'd say one of the, the eye-opening things about traveling overseas is how many guys overseas know a ton of football. There are a lot of coaches that know a lot of football, but sometimes coaches, I, I found this particular, I know when I was in Sweden, but they get so eager to run these schemes that they make it more about them than about the players because, you know, now, I, I don't know if you guys know, but you can get, you know, air raid certified. And you can do some of the stuff that Mummy and Leach have done. And, hey, that's really cool. It's awesome to have access to that library of film. You'll learn a ton of football. But if you have receivers who don't know how to route read and you don't have a quarterback that can throw the football, you could be, you could be Mike Leach himself and you're not going to win football games. What that guy has done so well is he has adapted his system over years. And I know we say air raid, but he's adapted it very well over the years of, you know, whether he's running stick or go or what he's doing, asking the quarterback to do, both from a protection and a run game standpoint, he's had to adapt. So it's not about running a set series of plays because you can find every playbook online. You can find Nick Saban's playbook online, but Nick Saban's defense doesn't play elite defense because of the plays. He doesn't have special plays. What he has is an absolutely elite culture and the ability to adapt to his players. When we first came to Davis, we knew that, we, we we were not great up front. We didn't have a very good running back. We didn't have very good receivers, but we did have the best receiver in the conference. And so we recruited our family off to go try and find a quarterback who was accurate. He wasn't a great athlete. He didn't have a great arm, but he was accurate. And we knew that we were just going to play catch for 60 minutes with the best receiver and the most accurate quarterback in the conference. And sure enough, both those guys won league player of the year honors in their first two years together. The first year it was Keelan Dawson. He led all of college football in receiving and receiving yards and catches. And then the next year, Jake Mayer, when we won the conference championship, was the conference player of the year because he continued to develop and we got a better supporting cast around him. Um, but really, again, it's not because we were running certain plays. It's because our system all went back to that culture. It was about attacking and not worrying about what the defense was doing and getting our best players involved. To give you an example where that worked against us is we, we have one particular scheme that, you know, the Patriots run it all the time. We're not secretive about running it, but it's where you run hitches on the outside, seam benders on the inside, and then kind of an option juke route um, by number three to the field. And the Patriots run it a ton of different formations. If you remember the Super Bowl against the Rams, they want, ran it three times in a row to get down on the goal line and putting everybody in different spots. But it's the same concept. Well, that's a concept that's been really good for us in 2017 and 2018. And last year, when we lost our best receiver, you know, we dropped off a little bit. Why? Because we didn't have that threat down the middle of the field that was going to make something out of nothing if that was our check down read. 
Um, so we had to adapt our scheme a little bit, and we found more success with other concepts that may have not been great in the past that were more about spacing and timing rather than somebody winning a one-on-one -on -one matchup. So we've learned as coaches, we're continuing to evolve and always trying to identify what our players do well. Um, and that's been a huge part of our success here. And talking about Keelan Dossie, he's at uh, Oakland Raiders. Is that correct now? Yep, he's with the Raiders. After his uh, stint as a celebrity on Hard Knocks, he uh, <laughs> bounced around a little bit and then came home to Oakland. So if I remember rightly, he was averaging... 140 receptions plus a season. What sort of things were you doing if you identified him as the dude that you had on your offense? How did you get him the ball and what sort of things were you trying to do? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So uh, I've always been a big believer in concept teaching as an offense. Um, like here at Davis, you know, we have players labeled as X, Y, Z, H, T, you know, whether some people say F or S or U or whatever it is, but you know, we really don't teach, hey, you're the X. We don't teach that, hey, you're the Z. We teach a full concept. So a lot of times we might have less quote-unquote plays than some people have, but we teach concepts so everybody knows what we're trying to do on that play. And in some programs, it doesn't work great when you tell the receiver, hey, man, I need you to run a, you know, a protection go route and outside release, and you're never getting the ball. But, you know, our guys here at Davis, we, we really pushed on the culture and the being selfless piece and our guys are willing to do that. So when we teach a concept, guys know um, it's not necessarily an X, H, Y, Z thing. It's a who's number one, who's number two, who, you know, who's number one to the boundary. Where's the, where's the read? Where's our alert? Um, and so when we had Keelan, Keelan looks like an athletic freak. You know, if you saw him, I mean, he's, he's six, three, he's muscular and toned, but his greatest talent were his work ethic and his dependability, and he was so selfless that he would, he would be honest with himself knowing, hey, based on the guys who are on the field with me now, this is the route that I should run for this play to work. And based on the guys who are on the field now, this is where I should be. And sometimes it was him getting the ball. Sometimes it was him clearing it out. There was a great play uh, that we ran against Montana two years ago, and it was a big third down in the game. And, you know, Keelan was supposed to catch the football, but – we were lined up in 12 personnel um, for the layperson out there with two tight ends and one running back rather than three receivers, which is our normal set. And Keelan got himself, he switched with a tight end to get himself outside so he could run the clear route. And he went outside and he ran like it was an Olympic sprint and he knew he wasn't getting the ball. But because of his selflessness to move out of his normal spot, that tight end was able to catch the first down because he knew if he were to run the out, that the tight end would not have cleared it out in time. So that was just him being assertive and selfless and understanding the full concept, um, which allowed us to put Keelan in different spots and talk to him about, hey, this third down, this is where we want you to go. And if it's first down and, you know, are the fastest player on our team is on the field, you know, he should run this route. But, um, you know, it's really the concept teaching and a lot of times for coaches, it comes down to minimizing your concepts. I, I really think there are very few times where you're going to be sitting there at the end of the game saying, I wish I had more plays. You're going to be telling yourself, oh, he cut that route short, or oh, we didn't make that block. And so I've always been a big believer that less is more, and then just have some adjustments. Um, if you guys are, are fans of LSU over there, I'm not sure how much uh, Joe Brady film you guys have been able to watch. His name has certainly been at the tip of every tongue in the football community here in the States for the past year. But if you watch LSU from this past year, they ran – I'll say between five and 
eight concepts a lot, but they had something that played off of it very well. And they were very simple about where they put guys. And uh, those, those receivers were able to move around and, and be successful. And it's very similar to what we've done with Keelan Doss. Um, and what we're continuing to try and do with our guys on our team now is teaching them what we're trying to do on every play, how to attack it, minimizing what we're doing so we can execute those concepts at a higher level and allowing the players the knowledge and empowerment to put themselves in a position to succeed. And we, we were talking a little bit before we started recording, uh, and I think that leads nicely on to this next question. You mentioned something about thinking backwards, and I think that's what you're sort of elaborating on there. Maybe you can explain mm-hmm. what you mean by that. Yeah, so we talk about thinking backwards when we're installing an offense and really thinking about what do you want your offense to look like? Um, For us, tempo is a really big emphasis. So as we start thinking backwards, we're thinking of, hey, on game day, how can we get our players to play as fast as possible? So what we did is we named plays things that don't mean anything. You know, so we'll have a play called Blazers. And you're saying, hey, Cody, why is that called Blazers? Well, it's because it's the concept of Portland. If you guys know the Portland Trailblazers are an NBA team out, out in Oregon on the West Coast. And so we decided every time we want to go fast, we have to have a word that really clues people into the fact that we're going fast. And so we said basketball teams. Why? Because we said basketball teams were playing um, at, a, at a high pace now. And if we want to be playing, quote, unquote, basketball on grass, that's an up-tempo offense that we're going to use basketball terms to tell our guys to play faster. And then if that's the end result that we want to be able to play as fast as possible and have these one word plays, we have to call the concepts and the blocking schemes, something that makes sense to that. So we went through and, you know, we decided that we were going to name, you know, say all the, all the basketball teams in, in California, those were going to be our four vertical concepts because that's a California team. It's the first pass play we install. So if we want to run Lakers, Clippers, or, you know, Sacramento Kings, that those will be our, our plays. But, you know, our, our actual words for the play might be California or Los Angeles. And so we're just finding ways to work backwards from the game day product to make sure that we're installing it appropriately. So we, you, have, you have team names, uh, you have certain schemes, and and then we group it up. So to give you another example, say all of our, all of our teams that are in the, you know, Pacific Northwest, and this one could really be anywhere, you know, say if I'm in, if I'm in England, say you have, you know, say, Hey, all your, your boundary concepts are going to be, you know, say it's Wales, right? Because, Hey, they're down there, they're in a cramped space. Or if you have some where you're really trying to work a one-on-one route, maybe those are all your Irish words because Ireland is a standalone Island as well. And, I mean, just finding ways where you can relate the concepts into not just what the play name is, but what you're trying to do. And so for us, it's, uh, you know, say down in uh, our mesh plays are all in Florida. Because for us, when our guys think Florida, they think hot. They think mesh clothing. And so Miami and Orlando are our plays. And Orlando is not the name of a mesh concept that you will hear in any football playbook. But when we want to go fast and we want to run our mesh play, we're going to say magic for those of you who aren't basketball fans, the Orlando magic are the basketball team um, in Orlando and, and the heat are the team in Miami, which you guys might be a little bit more familiar with from LeBron James's time down there. But it's, 
it's really all about thinking about what you want that game day product to look like and then figure out how can you make that easier, both in full knowledge of the execution, meaning maybe your pass protections are tied into whether it's a football team or a basketball team, or thinking about if it's a political leader, maybe that's a certain run play, or if it's a country, maybe that's a zone play. You know, I mean, just thinking about what you want it to look like, what speed you want to play with, um, or if you want to have a lot of shifts and motions, then you better think about what those words are. That every time you send somebody in motion, maybe instead of saying jet or fly, you're incorporating the letter of the player. So rather than saying, hey, we want to motion X in, maybe you say exit. Or if you want X across, it's exam. And, you know, for us, it was very important to have as few words as possible to play at a high speed. So rather than saying H in, H rub, H return, H jet, we got into the hack, hip, hope, home motion series just so our players wouldn't have to memorize multiple motions and they'd know within one word who we were tagging and what exactly we wanted them to do before entering into the concept. And, and you're touching on it there. I was, again, going to bring me on to my next question, but I think one of the biggest things we have over here in the UK and I imagine other places in Europe just because of our limited time and resources and we practice once twice a week is as coaches the ability to implement uh, playbooks and schemes in practices because I've made this mistake before I've, I've written a playbook it's got a bunch of plays in it it's got a bunch of names and then we give it to players, expect them to learn, and then we get to practice, and half of them don't know what they're doing, and then you get frustrated. I mean, you're, you're going through some of the techniques there, but are you doing things at practice, uh, practice techniques that help coaches learn this? And I guess the important thing is, is that as a coach, you're doing this well in advance of practices even starting. Yeah, you know, our staff always laughs that we will spend a week, you know, where we spend eight to 10 hours a day in the office arguing about what we're going to call a play. And some coaches will say, Oh, screw it. You know, call it, call it Brown shoe, call it octopus. You know, it doesn't matter, but really it does matter because for our true freshman quarterback, if we told them that the concept is, has something to do with New York and that is a scat protection, that's a clue for him to help him to make sure he doesn't get drilled in the back of the head. And if we got lazy and called it, you know, something that didn't fit the mnemonics or the system that we had created, then we're putting him at a, at a disadvantage. Um, so there's the, the naming in there. And you mentioned practice, all right, which I know that practice time is at a premium for every coach at every level, level around the world. Even here, even here, we say practice time is an issue. In the NFL, practice time is now becoming an issue that we never have as much practice as we want. So what do we need to do? We need to become better teachers. I, I'm a firm believer in this three-day install, which, you know, it, it was made popular by, you know, Leach and Mummy, those air raid guys. But whether or not you're living in two back sets or trying to play with three tight ends, I think uh, the, the human capacity to soak things up always works better in threes. It works for public speakers. It works when you're studying. And when you're teaching, you should really try and teach in threes. So we've really gone heavy into the three-day install meaning, all right, one day is going to be, you know, one day is going to be inside zone and our scat protection plays, our plays where we have no back and protection. And 
Um, the next day is going to be our gap scheme plays, and these are our deep pass plays. And then you're going to get into, you know, maybe your trap schemes, your draw schemes, and your movement plays. Whatever you guys decide to do, I really encourage all of you guys, if you can't install it in three days, then you're doing too much. You know, you really need to have it grouped down into a family um, just because it's easier for guys to teach that way. And you would much rather be the best team in your league at running one play than being a middle-of-the-road team that runs everything. And you, you hear the word identity thrown around on every talk show, and, and every coach wants to have an identity of a team. But in the way you teach and the way you install, that in itself is creating an identity. Because if you try and install eight run plays and you aren't the best in the league at running any of them, is it really worth your time? I think your time, while limited, can be much better spent finding out, you know, going back to the top that I said, it's what fits the culture and then the players that we have, what can we do well? Again, if you have some great pulling guards, awesome. Let's go. Let's, let's trap them. Let's run power. We'll be awesome. But if you've got some guys that don't move great in space, you better let them get some help and let them lean on people. But everybody looks up power and decides power is a great run play because it always looks good on the board. But if you don't have guys who can execute a down block, if you don't have guys who can pull and identify, then you're really hurting yourself. Um, so as I get into, I'll, I'll speak first on the run game. Um, this is something that, that I learned kind of from Urban, but he really firmly believed that you can have four core run plays as a program and really two. But what he's a big believer in is, is the 80-20 practice model, meaning that 80% of the stuff that you do or 80% of the stuff that's going to give you the most benefit, as in like if you're going to run power and counter, then you should practice, you should call in a game, and you should rep power 80 times as to practicing, teaching, counter 20% of the time. Now, you might go into a game where you call counter more than you call power just because of the defensive front look you're getting. But if you really want to be great at something, give it the allocated amount of time. Don't run the same amount of reps and then call it differently in the game. If you want to be great at something, then practice being great at something. So of those four run schemes, he'd say, all right, you have two. You have two run schemes. And then you're going to have two other auxiliary run schemes. So of those four that you're running, and if you're in Europe, you don't, you don't need more than four run schemes. You don't. You, you know, whether it's saying, hey, I'm going to run outside zone and inside zone, and I'm going to run – counter and trap great you know figure out which ones are going to be you give you the most meat give you the most benefit and run those and practice those practice those against various looks so that you can always come back to them and they can be dependable for you if you decide you want to be a pin pull team or a half man half zone team or an option team it, whatever you want to do but you really need to limit it and then find ways to have some extra dressing on, on your plays that makes it well, which that's where your motions and your quarterback reads and inverting who's the downhill threat and who's the outside threat can really come into play. You know, if you watch Kyle Shanahan, he's getting a ton of love for being this brilliant play caller. But the thing he's most brilliant at is finding ways to run outside zone that look different but have the same rules or look different but are exactly the same except for one guy changing. He finds ways to marry up that run game so the rules are the same and his players can play fast. And that's where you see a guy like Mostert, a back who doesn't matter, you know, or like he hasn't been great in the league so far, goes out and sets playoff records for rushing because everybody in front of him, they're in line with their identity. They're all about, you know, 
simplistic complexity and that they're going to make it look crazy, but it's really these core rules. And then they go out and they're able to dominate, dominate that. So I really am a firm believer in having a few run plays with that extra dressing, whether it's the motions, the read, um, maybe a fake puller or a swiping guys, et cetera. Um, in the pass game, I really think you got to figure out, you know, what are your, what are your five core plays? And then teach those as a concept. And, you know, you, you want to have your three by one adjustments. You want to have your two by two adjustments, but really what are the five concepts that are going to be bread and butter for you? And can your quarterback know where to go against every single coverage? One thing that we started doing in Europe and it's been great for us as quarterbacks here, we've, we've been among, we've been in the top five in passing all three years here. We've been at UC Davis and that's in the country, not just uh, in our conference, but it's because we have a select amount of pass plays that we're going to run a lot. But in Europe, out of necessity, we started doing a ton of half side, meaning everybody wants to run full seven on seven. But that takes a lot of legs, a lot of manpower, a lot of scheming, both on defense and offense. But if we were able to work just half of a concept, even if it was the backside of the concept or, what, you know, whether it was an alert or a front side read, we're just throwing half side so we can isolate the teaching there. There's a book called uh, Practice Perfect that I would encourage all of you guys to read if you haven't, but it does a great job talking about coaching for success in drills, starting with the most basic form of a drill. It might be throwing smash on air, and then you work on the adjustments, and you add one defender, then you add two defenders, then you add three defenders, and then you add so many defenders that the play theoretically shouldn't work and try and have the kids figure it out. If they have a concept limit that they can grasp and they can really understand how to win versus different coverages, what they should do with their routes, what the objective of the play is, then they're going to go out and execute at a high level. They're going to have fun. Uh, they're going to be creative and they're going to be successful ultimately. So in practice, limit what you're doing, find ways to start basic, to teach, to get more people involved, get more guys involved. Cause heck, you know, I was in Sweden a few times and we had to teach our running back to play left guard the morning of a big game because, you know, somebody's girlfriend got sick sometimes. And as much as coaches don't want to deal with it, that's the reality of coaching in Europe is that you're going to have some people who love it, but life also happens. So finding ways where everybody can get involved, everybody can learn what you're doing, what they should be doing. They can have fun doing it and they can go out and execute at a high level um, of proficiency and confidence on game day. Coach, that's fantastic. Uh, a lot of great pieces in there, and there's a lot. When I speak to American coaches, it's very clear, even though you have more resource, you have more time with the guys, it's still the same things that you're thinking about each and every day with your players, and it's relevant to us, even if we only have players uh, once a week or twice a week. Um, just to finish, uh, we're just going to wrap it up soon. You talked about Urban Meyer earlier. Mm -hmm. I think some of the Listeners would love to hear about your experience coaching with him. And you, we spoke earlier about competitive excellence. Is, has that been a huge influence on you uh, as a coach going forward? A absolutely. You know, I'd say, um, you know, my, my time with Urban is probably the, the most influential time in my coaching career and really my football life. Um, and that's from a kid who grew up around. I grew up in locker rooms. I grew up around Chris Peterson, uh, you know, you know, famous coach you guys probably know. And then uh, Mark Helfrich, who I know, was also a BASCA member. I mean, I've been around a lot of great coaches. But, you know, spending time with him really 
gave me a, a strong impression of what it took to win and really made no bones about why he was so successful at Utah and at Florida and Ohio State and if he gets back into it, why he's going to be successful again. And whether you agree or disagree with the methods, right, the, the madness totally is a science. And you mentioned the competitive excellence piece. And what Urban Meyer always stresses, he was all about competitive excellence, meaning that you were able to put guys in a position to make plays and to be at their best when their best was needed. So think about, you know, as a coach overseas, you're trying to get players to memorize an entire playbook. But really when it comes down to it, and it's that game, you know, if you guys are playing, you know, Leeds or you guys are playing Nottingham and, you know, you're trying to run a play to win the game. Well, have you gotten enough reps at that play that you're going to call your go-to call? Do you have a go-to call? Do you have a go-to guy? And have you put them in a position where, you know, they're being tested on a daily basis. They're giving an opportunity to compete, not just to compete and win, but to compete and fail and to compete and grow. And the competitive excellence piece, we were competing every day at Ohio State. I, I tell the story, and it's not possible in any program except for a place like Ohio State, but during off-season conditioning, every single rep of everything that they did, whether it was a weight, a pro shuttle run, a gasser, a mile, a squat, every single rep was timed and recorded, and they were constantly being judged and held to a standard of who they were yesterday. So as, as guys would step up, I mean, there were hard facts and numbers that would say that they weren't at their best or that they needed to get better. And when we would run plays, I mean, the plays that were third down plays or red zone plays were exponentially more important than rundown plays. You know, I think it's interesting that, you know, everybody wants to install their, you know, everybody, uh, first day of practice, everybody wants to put in 80% of the game plan, but that 80% of the game plan doesn't matter. You know what matters? Field position matters. Executing in the red zone matters. Converting third downs, that matters. Um, and then there's a, I don't know if you guys know um, Mike Lombardi. He, he has a pretty good podcast. It's called the GM Shuffle that during the NFL season is totally worth a listen. Sometimes he gets a little over the top, but in his book, Gridiron Genius, another good football book, he talks about four-point plays and why not just third downs are important, but third downs in the red zone are the most important plays in football because really that one third down is a four-point play because if they have the ball on the 15-yard line and they convert that third down, they get another shot at seven. If they don't convert, they're going to kick a field goal. So as a defense, you have to know that that play is a four-point play. That means are you practicing third down defense as much as you're practicing field goal? Because theoretically, a third down stop on defense is worth more than making a field goal. So are you practicing that? And everybody wants to create explosive plays. They do. But the number one play to, you can do to flip the field is to have a great punt team. And to have a great punt team, you've got to protect the punt. You've got to be great at location. You've got to be great at swarming and netting and tackling. You have to be good at all of those things because those are huge parts of the game. And if you have a punt and an opportunity to flip the field, are, are you going to make sure that you guys are totally dialed against any punt block look that they might get? And that was something that Urban was so, so uh, at the forefront about was just spending a ton of time on punt team and flipping the field, spending a ton of time on red zone and third downs and not just spending mental space on it, um, but he was allocating practice time and also practice intensity that those were the most important times of practice, the most important times of game planning, because he knew, knew that those mattered the most. And he felt like allocating the time 
the mental space and the energy on the most important things in a football game, that that will allow you to be competitively excellent, that you'll be able to be your best when your best is needed in the most important games. Coach, uh, on behalf of BAFCA, thank you for taking the time out. Lots of great info there. I know you need to shoot off and carry on, carry on working. Before we, before we let you move on, I know you, you're really welcoming into helping other coaches around the world. You've helped me out in the past. Um, do you want to share your social media handles just in case people want to reach out and get hold of you? Yeah, no, absolutely. So my, my Twitter is just my name. It's Cody Hawkins. That's C-O-D-Y-H-A-W-K-I-N-S. And then my Instagram is Cody, C-O-D-Y-N as a Nicholas, middle initial Hawkins. And then it's just uh, Cody N Hawkins is my Instagram. But um, also, I don't know if I, some of you guys have iMessage too. Feel free to text me. I'm going to give my phone number. I don't know if uh, back is good with me giving out my phone number, but it's a, uh, you know, it's the country code one because we're pretentious Americans. I'm, I'm sorry for that. Um, and then 720-253-7574. Again, that's uh, country code one seven two zero two five three seven five seven four. You guys can text me, call me, anything that I can do for you, uh, Coach Lillis or anybody else in the basketball community. I'm always more than happy to help. That means if you want to come watch fall practice, come on over. If you guys want to grab lunch when you're in the states let's do it if you guys want to come by the stadium and talk ball or get some film we'll do it i am here to share the great game of football and all that it's done for me the best thing about football is the relationships that you make and i'm, I'm happy to enrich our relationship through football and happy to help anybody else who uh may hear this podcast thanks coach really appreciate it um have a great day uh, and best of luck for the 2020 season for the uci uh, davis aggies yeah thank you coach you take care appreciate you again to coach Cody Hawkins for taking the time to speak to back uh, community we wish him and all the UC Davis Aggies all the successes for the upcoming 2020 season make sure you subscribe to the podcast and if you would like to appear as a guest or know someone that you'd love to hear from to be on the show reach out to me on social media at coach Lillis L-I-L-L-I-S or by contacting me through Facebook tune in next time for another great show thank you and goodbye Thank <music> you.